Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast. A quick reminder to tune in to the BAFCA Roundtable discussions, which can be found on the BAFCA Facebook page. A lot of great content in there for coaches to take away. Today's podcast guest is Coach Matt Atkins, who will be talking about utilising a tight end in your offence. So let's hear what Coach Atkins has to say. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Adam Lillis. I'm joined today by the tight end coach for the San Jose State University Spartans, Coach Matt Atkins. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Excited to be talking to you. Excellent. So uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and a bit about your coaching background, but for the benefit of the listeners, why don't you give us a, a rundown of how you got into football in the first place, uh, your coaching journey is so to speak and how you've ended up at San Jose State today yeah for sure um so I'm a third generation football coach uh my grandfather was the head coach at Central Washington for a really long time uh my dad was the head coach at Humboldt State he was at uh University of Nevada Reno for about five years and uh he's actually been uh overseas like the last decade he's been to a bunch of different spots coaching he's coached in italy czech sweden all over the place uh so i didn't really have a choice what i was going to do uh ever since i was young I've, I've been in locker rooms and meeting rooms and around football all the time uh i played at shasta college in redding california and then i played at southern oregon university which is in ashland oregon so uh, small schools, wasn't at uh, big, big schools or big-time programs, but uh, awesome, awesome experiences at both of those spots. Um, a lot of people who really loved football. From there, I immediately got into coaching. I started as a quarterback's coach at Shasta College, then was tight ends at Southern Oregon. Um, eventually was the passing game coordinator at Southern Oregon. Uh, we had a lot of success there. It was a lot of fun. Um, won national championship in 2014 and lost uh, national championship, the national championship in 2015. Um, really wanted to get to the Division One level. Was trying to find an opportunity. Uh, so I, I actually came to San Jose State. I'm really proud of this. I came as a volunteer in 2016 uh, to San Jose State and was able to work my way up from being a volunteer to a graduate assistant to getting promoted to full-time. And uh, so been here for the last four seasons, been coaching the tight ends for the last two seasons. Um, but that's kind of the background and kind of my journey through the profession. That's excellent. And you, you talked to me a bit about your time in, in Europe. So why don't you dive deeper into that and talk about some of the, the challenges you found in Europe and, uh, some of the things you learned from your experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was with the Karlstad Crusaders in 2012 and 2013. Um, 
when I first went over, I first went over as offensive coordinator and uh, we won the championship the first year. And then the second year, they asked me to come back and be the head coach, which is a really cool experience. I think I was like 24 at the time. So um, to get that kind of experience, to be in front of the room, um, to be putting together practice plans on top of the football stuff. I mean, what a great experience for a young coach. Uh, I was really fortunate to have, first of all, good players. Uh, Karlstad is a great program. There was a bunch of great national players on the team. Uh, but one of the things that I thought was huge, because it's, it's way different than over here, right? You're dealing with a bunch of guys who have jobs. You're dealing with guys who, um, you know, they're making sacrifices to be involved in it. Absolutely, they're, not like yeah. the, they're not like the student athletes that, uh, that I work with here where, you know, they're getting everything taken care of, their housing, all that type of stuff. Um, and so what I found is just getting people to show up is the first thing you got to knock out. The first thing that you have to do a great job of um, when you're working over there. And the way that I did that was I tried to make everything as fun as humanly possible. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've, everyone, anyone who's been involved with football, you've probably, there's been a team that you really enjoyed being around. And there's been a team where you don't look forward to practice. You don't look forward to going to watch film, all those type of things. And so I tried to make a huge emphasis on getting people to love being there. What I mean by that is we would play games all the time. Uh, we were constantly doing fun, weird stuff, fun, weird drill drills. Um, I wanted it. So all those guys, look forward to coming to practice every single time that they came. And because of that, you know, we were able to have the numbers at practice were amazing the whole entire year, which, and now do you coach over there or what do you do within the sport over there and where you're at? Myself? Yes. Yeah. I coach in the UK. So I'm a head coach at the university level and uh, a coordinator at the club level. And I'm also involved gotcha. in the national program. Yeah. Because my dad, my dad's been all over the place in Europe, and uh, you know the one thing he always complains about is just getting people at practice, right? Because you know Timmy has uh, an issue with his daughter, and John has a work. Uh, he has to go to work in a different city, and so you end up missing crucial people at practice. Is that something you guys deal with over there? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you you hit the nail on the head at the club level. It's usually older individuals that have jobs and things like that. And, you know, they'll, they'll drop out of practice the morning of a practice. Um, and at the university level, they're not full ride scholarship type of guys. And they're usually players that are brand new to the sport. They're still learning whether they actually enjoy yeah. playing American football or not. And they just have tons of other priorities on top of attending practice. So yeah, absolutely. Every level in the UK has some form of um, challenge in terms of getting people to practice. Because the, the thing is, right, like if you have if you, a guy who's really, really good is going to want to come to practice every time because he's having fun, he's having success. But you need everybody at practice just to be able to get through a healthy practice. And so, like, we would do stuff. Um, we would, like, always start with a fun drill, like uh, egg tosses, like have the, the big guys catch punts. Um, play trivia games, like 
I, I realized that in order to get what I needed to get out of these guys, I needed all of them there. And so you, practices were very different from what they are uh, when I'm over here in the States. And the other thing is I had short practices. I mean, we only practiced for an hour and a half. Now we were going, we were moving, 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 constantly getting things done, high energy. There was music out there trying to do everything that I could to make it to where these guys enjoyed being out there. And it wasn't like, ah, practice. You know, what? I'm not going to go today because trying to create a culture where everyone is constantly there was the thing I was most proud of in my time. Uh, we would constantly have like 40 people at practice, which for people who have been around a bunch of clubs overseas know that that is a tough thing to accomplish. Um, so that's something I would just wanted to bring up. Just make sure when you're putting together your practices, when you're putting together your meeting times, are you making it something that they want to be at, something that they're dreading to be at? How are you handling that? What are you doing to make it fun? Why are they engaged? Um, just trying to push yourself to do things that make Jimmy and, and Steve want to be there and be invested in, uh, in, and actually get something out of those practice times. Absolutely. And I understand in your two, two years that you were there, uh, Carl Stad, that you had some pretty reasonable success. I think you won the championship. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, we won the, the Swedish championship both years. Um, and, then, uh, and then Europe in 2016. I forget, I forget the name of it, but yeah, we were good. We were good. I think my second year, we went undefeated. Uh, it was fun. So some of the best years of my life, both coaching and just uh, my fiance was over there with me. It was awesome. Awesome. And, and what sort of, just moving to more some of the football things, you obviously you built up yep. culture and things like that. What sort of things were you running perhaps offensively or defensively that you felt you're having really good success with despite the limited resource that you have over in Europe? Yeah, so, um, well, I put in a three-three-five defense. Um, and one of the things, after my first year, I was shocked at the lack of blitz packages that people had. Uh, you know, when you're coaching over here, like, almost all your time is spent on blitzes. When you're talking about game planning or getting ready for an opponent, do we know how to protect it? What are we going to do in this run play? And then when I went overseas, like, you really only see, like, single dog pressures. And so I wanted to put in a defense where we had a lot more pressures. We were really multiple. Like, we could, we could give a lot of different looks. We could be in a three down, be in a four down. Um, because I figured that nobody would know how to handle it because nobody was seeing it on a consistent basis. So we ran a bunch of fire zones. Um, and tried to change up the box as much as possible, uh, which I, was really effective for us. A lot of turnovers. Um, that was kind of the defensive side, just in, in a broad sense. If you want me to dive into any of those details, obviously I can. Uh, offensively, we ran a spread offense. Um, you know, it, obviously really prevalent now, but running a lot of power read, running a lot of inside zone. And then uh, – I am a huge – I like throwing verticals and throwing shots. My goal is always to, to uh, take more shots than anybody else uh, in the conference, in the league, whatever it is. And so we were a spread attacking offense. Uh, we would throw four verts like ten times a game. 
So those are kind of the, the overall philosophies. Is that, is that kind of what you're asking for? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's more trying to work out how you were utilizing your limited time as effectively as possible. So were those, that spread and those 33 stat schemes, something that was not only effective in a sense of it's schematically effective, but also from an install point of view and getting players to understand it, something that oh, was gotcha. very straightforward. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll go back to a little bit, you know, the, the thing that, that, so we are, I'll give you a weekly schedule when I was there. So we would play and then we would have on Monday was a lifting session and meeting time. And then uh, two practices a week. So Tuesday, Thursday, and then, you know, if depending on when we played, we would have a walk through the day before the game. That's not nearly as much time as we get over here with our guys, obviously. Um, and so the one thing that I'll just hit again is we tried to make it fun and they enjoyed being there so that our attendance was always high. One of my biggest pet peeves is installing something like three times. We were really good in terms of attendance to get people the information that they needed to get. Now, the other thing that I would do when I was over there is I would go on Wednesday and on Friday, I would have position meetings, but at people's houses. So instead of trying to get together, um, you know, 30 people at one time, I'm going to get together three people at one time in a spot that's more convenient for them. And so uh, that was the way that we installed with them. We also had to be extremely um, diligent in terms of making sure that it was uh, easy to install, it wasn't too complicated. Um, what, did our system allow us to be multiple, even with the way we call things and the way we structure things? It looks like it's multiple, but it's really coming from an easy, simple system that the players can easily understand. And I think we did a good job of that, um, where you're segmenting the scheme so that uh, the, it, it seems really complex and multiple, when a coach is breaking it down, but it's actually really simple and really easy to call and really easy to process. And, and did your experience in Europe influence you positively in any way when you came back to America and started coaching at the college level? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, just the simple thing of, getting to run an offense and then getting to run a team, you know, it teaches you so much about leadership, it teaches you so much about, you know, all of a sudden you don't get as mad at your head coach. Cause you're like, I understand that that's a really difficult spot to be in. Uh, in terms of the football part of it. I mean, there was stuff that I came up with when I was in Sweden that we run at San Jose state. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, anybody who's been around me knows when it comes to football, I like to be, weird and innovative and weird formations and personnels. And there's a bunch of stuff that we ran that, that we're running at the division one level that started uh, in Carlstead. Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, like I said, I would, I really love those two years of my life. And, um, and I still to this day appreciate those guys for letting me coach them, you know, some like 32 year old guys. And here comes this 23 year old kid telling you we're going to throw four verts 10 times in a game. <laughs> them buying into it was pretty cool and something that I still uh I still just really really admire about those guys fantastic um 
let's get into the position you coach, which is tight ends. Yeah, tight ends are. Is I, I used to play tight end. I've coached tight ends before, but it's the one position I think out of all of the offensive and defensive positions that doesn't necess- isn't necessarily mandatory. Whereas you always have a running back, you always have receivers, you always have offensive line yep. quarterbacks, you always have all the defensive players, but you can actually make do without a tight end. And especially over here with players that may not have as uh, much experience, you are, you're essentially asking players to learn how to play offensive line and play receiver at the same time, which is limited resource, limited time is real tough. I know it's going to be a very obvious answer, but how important do you place the use of a tight end or tight ends in an offence? And what sort of things are you expecting your tight ends to do over at San Jose State? Good question. Uh, and I have kind of a funny answer to it. When I was at uh, Southern Oregon University, uh, we were really good, had really good quarterbacks, really good wideouts. I mean, I think one year we averaged like 650 yards of offense a game. Uh, but we were only in 10 personnel. Never had a tight end. Like every once in a while we'd have a tight end, but like it was not a huge part of what we were. And we had a lot of success and uh, it was a lot of fun. And so I didn't really like or think that much of using a tight end. Um, and then, you know, get more experiences around more staffs, around more programs. Uh, and especially I spent a year on defense at San Jose State. You start to realize how hard it is to defend if you use a tight end correctly. Um, the gaps you can create, the formations that you can create. Um, obviously, you're going to be much more multiple in the run game. And if you have an athletic enough one, you can really create some great matchups. And so uh, fast forward to now, um, you know, we have a tight end on the field every single play at San Jose State. I think since I've been coaching them, there's been one play where there wasn't a tight end on the field. And a lot of the time we're in 12 personnel. So we have two tight ends out there. And the thing that it creates is you can formation, um, get into formations that create advantages. Um, you can also create so many new gaps in the run game with all the different schemes you can do. Uh, we have really athletic tight ends, so we still run four verts all the time out of 12 personnel, which is unique, and you don't see that a lot. There's a lot of teams that play with uh, two tight ends and 12 personnel, and they don't really athletically present that challenge to a defense. So if we line up in a 12 personnel formation and we can have, you know, run power at you efficiently and force you to defend power and think about how you're going to deal with the polar are you spilling? Are you forcing? And in the next play, we, we run four verts out of that same formation. You're really going to challenge a defensive coordinator and um, make them think about more than what they're used to thinking about. And that kind of give you an idea of how much I love tight ends. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so when you, I don't know, maybe looking at some of the times you commonly have, but just generally, are you expecting all your tight ends to have the same skill set or would you have in the NFL, you have your blocking tight ends, you have your receiving tight ends. Do you define people's roles in that way? And do you have those different types of individuals or are they all kind of the same, same type of tight end? Yeah. So it's a good question. Um, 
So, you know, my first year we had a guy named Josh Oliver who currently plays for the Jaguars. He was a third-round draft pick. And I, I wish that they were all like him. <laughs> he was 6'5", 245. I think he ran like a 4'6 at the combine. So preferably I'd just have a bunch of hymns. Uh doesn't work that way. But we have a bunch of different kind of tight ends to answer your question. And I try and use them at their strengths. Um, so there's not like, for instance, when I'm recruiting, he doesn't have to be exactly this height, exactly this fast, because different people can have different strengths, right? So uh, there's, there's kids that are big, strong, that I can rely on on third and short. Um, I definitely want to have one or two of those. Now, it's also really important to me that uh, – my guys are good enough to where I can split them out and have them be an effective receiver so we can present a bunch of different formations that make us difficult to defend. Does that make sense? I think, uh, I think that now there is the one limit that I would say is they have to be tall enough um, just because we need some length to be able to hang in there against defensive ends and if you're not tall enough, your arms at least need to be extremely long to ensure that we have the ability to, to win some of those matchups in the run game. Sure. And do, do you use them in the backfield at all, like as fullbacks, or do you have completely different uh, individuals for that? Um, no. So a tight end for me has got to be able to do all of it. So he, he's got to be able to line up the receiver, line up the wing. He's got to be able to line up with his hand in the dirt. Um, so I ask all my guys to do all of that, if that makes sense. Uh, which, you know, you have to be a pretty special athlete to do that. So I'm fortunate. I have a bunch of really freaky athletes in my room. Um, but no, and th- there are a lot of people that do that though, right? Like they've got one guy that just does this for them in their offense. And then they got another guy who just does this, but I try and make my guys do all of it. Sure. Absolutely. And let's, let's talk about, a, a situation that we would often have in the UK where you know you just got a whole group of players some have played for a little while some haven't played before <coughs> excuse me haven't played before um, and these players we're trying to fit them into positions and trying to work out what they can do what sort of things are you looking for in a tight end outside of height and weight and things like that and what sort of, how do you go go by in terms of identifying those attributes well i mean the, the 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 first thing and i know you said not to do this but the first thing is height and weight <laughs> uh because you know like i said you need to have some length to be able to to get away with what you're going to need to get away with in the run game sure. um, in terms of other traits you know like i said i want it like big and can run and can run because everything needs to come off of four verts I firmly believe that from a, from a philosophy standpoint on offense. And so if I have a big kid, but that kid can't be a threat in the four verts world, then it's really just another offensive lineman. And the way that people will defend that will be drastically different, right? If, if you bring in – some people will do this. If you bring in a sixth offensive lineman as your tight end, the way that they're going to defend that personnel group is going to be drastically different than if you have a kid who can play four verts, 
it gets, in my opinion, much easier for a defensive coordinator. And so um, ability to run. And then obviously, you know, you want someone who's fluid catching the football. Um, but to me, if, if, if he can't run and, and present those issues to a defense, then the, the personnel group gets much less effective in my, in my opinion. Sure. And let's talk about uh, you to- coaching the Titans at practice. Are you able to give us some of the sort of everyday drills that you're hanging out on in terms of uh, yep. co- coaching the Titans? And one of the things I've struggled with in terms of practice planning, and maybe it's these <laughs> levels of the Titans that we have, but it's trying to split between uh, spending time with the off- offensive line and learning the run game blocking and spending mm-hmm. time with the receivers. So it'd be interesting to know uh, how you do that over your program. Yeah, yeah. So the thing... Um, so I have, I have a bunch of like, like my starting tight end is a, he was playing wide receiver in junior college. He was a big wide out. I have two quarterbacks in the room. Like they used to play quarterback and they got moved to tight end. And the, the one thing I always remind myself is that when it comes to the past stuff, I don't really need to coach that that intensely because that's why they're here. They're really interested they're going to work very hard to get better at it. So all of the route running, all of, all of the pass concepts, um, that I kind of don't emphasize, if that makes sense. The thing that I really, really emphasize at practice is all the run blocking stuff and pass protection stuff. And so our individual time is almost all run blocking and pass protection. And um, just to kind of give you up and just tell me if you want me to dive into more detail on it, but to me, the most important thing is footwork uh, in the run game and in pass protection. And so we do a lot, a lot, a lot of footwork drills. A lot of um, having them take their first two steps on any given scheme, like over and over and over again. Uh, because when my guys' feet are good, we're good. When my guys' feet are bad, we're horrendous. Um, Absolutely. And so, is that is that on boards or how do you do those footwork drills? No, so I don't use boards. I don't I don't use a lot of uh, you know equipment. So what we do, the first thing they do at practice every single day, they all get online, and I give them a play, and I say set go, and they take the first two steps of um, whatever that run is. Like, does that run? require depth and width from the first step does that run require eating grass with the first step and um so we do that three times fast so i give them a play said go they take first two steps get reset immediately said go they take the footwork again and so just trying to get the muscle memory that their body only knows how to take these first two steps if that makes sense um and different schemes different alignments uh you know, my dad was a defensive line coach for a long time. And the one thing that he always, always uh, emphasized is the person who gets their second step in the ground first wins the block. And so uh, trying to get them to where that second step, the first step makes sense for what they're trying to accomplish. And the second step gets down in the ground extremely fast. And we do that like every day. They like right now, we're living in this really weird world with coronavirus. Uh, 
I hope that at least two of them in this moment are at a park or in their backyard taking their first two steps because I've asked them to continue to do that uh, through this time. And when it comes to the to the passing things, I know you said you concentrate on the footwork and run blocking and pass protection. Yep. Do, do you just spend time on routes when it's another part of the practice plan with the receivers or is there specific things that you do with them? In terms of catching? Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, each team is different in terms of practice plans. For us, uh, at San Jose State, we do a lot of team stuff, a lot of crossover drills. So there's not – I maybe get like five or ten minutes of Indy a day. So there's not like a bunch of, of time for me to like really split things up, if that makes sense. Um, the only thing that – so all of that five to ten minutes of Indy, which will always be run stuff. And then I have a five-minute shot of routes versus air with the quarterbacks, uh, and we do those every day. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that is, is more so, you know, team stuff and talking through it, watching film. But, uh, in terms of like the amount of splitting, I don't really have enough time to, to really think through that a lot, if that makes sense. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and just to take a completely different tact on this conversation, Yep. We've, we've already been talking about the importance of tight ends and the the dynamics of the change in the offense when implementing a tight end. Mm-hmm. How important is it at San Jose State in terms of tight ends and special teams and what type of roles are you expecting your tight ends to play in special teams? That's a great question. Um, so, you know, with the spread punt and like, because tight ends used to be like when when the old punt tight ends were always on that right because they were playing the guard of the tackle spot kick sliding back but now with the spread punt they've kind of gotten completely off of it if that makes sense um so none of my guys are really on a punt or punt return um and then on kickoff return you know with all the changes going on in special teams it's gotten a lot faster, right? There's more speed on the field than there was, you know, five years ago. Um, so the tight end's role in special teams has actually kind of gotten smaller. It, are you guys seeing a similar thing over there in terms of, like, is everyone running the shield punt? Yep, yep, absolutely. Everything you've, you've described is similar to what we're doing. We've an NCAA rules, so all the things you were describing, we are uh... – it's the same for us yeah so they can't i mean you guys have a lot more uh, speed on the field now in special teams to, to some extent yeah but a lot of the time it's just putting the best guys we can on the field and that will include yeah. bigger tight end type players because like when like 10 years ago you know you had all the double teams and all the stuff on kickoff kickoff return so you needed a big physical guys but now it's turned to so many more one-on-ones and uh, and you know, so much speed is on the field for the shield punt stuff just to try and cover. So, yeah, th- they are not as involved as as uh, as they used to be. Sure, no, that's absolutely that's fine. Um, so just to start wrapping it up now. Um, last question, really. 
just to kind of circle back to where we started from, so what are some of the things you would want to hang your hat on if you were in coordinating an offence and you were implementing a tight end set or two tight end set? What are some of the most key fundamental things that you would expect your tight ends to be able to do, whether that's certain route combinations or um, certain types of run blocking? And I, I know a lot of that's going to be down to specific schemes, but if there's something that you just if you were in charge, you would say, this is this is what I want them to be doing 90% of the time. What sort of things would you have? Um, good question. Um, wh- why there's probably a coach listening right now who doesn't use a tight end or doesn't have experience with it. I'll, I'll just – I'll say simply, this is my pitch for why I think they're important, is that you want to put stress on the defensive coordinator. And to do that, you know – if you think of it this way, if you're a 10 personnel team, how many formations can you present for them to defend? And it's really simple. You can only present two formations. You can be in two by two. You can be in three by one. Obviously, there's some variations. You can bunch it or stack it. But think of it from a defensive coordinator's head. Like, how simple is that for him to scheme when he's only playing against essentially two formations? Now, when you get a tight end, how many formations can you present with a tight end? That number goes drastically higher. Now, if you have two tight ends on the field, how many formations can you present to the defense now? And so if you're using that correctly and presenting different formations, then you can get that defensive coordinator to be much more simple in his thought process because he doesn't necessarily know what he's calling against. Um, now, the other part, and I kind of talked about this earlier, but I'll hit on it again, is, you know, if I'm lining up in 12 personnel and, um, and I have the ability, like, we're unique at San Jose State. I think we were, like, the fourth passing team in the country last year or something like that. Quarterback had a great year, a bunch of yards. We're running the stuff people run in spread offenses out of, in 10 personnel. So the schemes that you see, like the spread teams run, we're running it. We're just running it out of 12 personnel. And so when you start to present some of those schemes, but you're doing it with really athletic tight ends and in unique formations, it's much harder to defend. You can get a high-level drop-back concept out of 12 personnel with still a bunch of speed. And the next play, we're running uh, power out of that same formation. And so that presents a bunch of issues for defenses where you make them simple. And sometimes you'll find out that 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 kid doesn't know the rule against this formation. He doesn't know that for strong, uh, he has to carry it. And you can get some really cheap yardage from doing that. And then as far as what I really want out of a tight end and something – so. That kid has to be able to run. He also has to be extremely intelligent because if you're going to line him up in all these different spots, you spoke about this earlier, you're going to line him up in all these different spots. He's going to have his hand in the ground one play, and then he's going to slot, and then he's going to be in a fullback spot. He has to be really smart to be able to do all that because not only does he have to know it from a mental standpoint, but he also has to be able to execute the techniques, which are drastically different. And so – I firmly believe that I think it's the second hardest position in football behind quarterback because of how much they have to know and all the stuff that they have to do. 
Uh, but if you can get a good big athlete who can figure out how to line up in different spots and figure out some, some new techniques, um, the stress you can put on the defense, I'll, I'll probably never be in 10 personnel again just because I've, I've bought into how, how difficult it can be to defend. That's fantastic, Coach. Um, I'm going to wrap up and let you get on. Um, before we go, I always like to give coaches the opportunity to share their social media handles uh, so that the listeners can reach out to you and follow you. Um, do you want to share those now? Uh, yeah. I, th- I think it's just at Coach Matt Atkins on Twitter. That's all I got. Excellent. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the biggest social media guy. And I got to give uh, a shout-out one of my favorite people in the whole entire world, Perry Routledge. I don't know if you're listening or not, but it's my favorite uh, Brit in the whole entire world, so I just had to give him a shout-out. Brilliant. I'll make sure Harry gets a message. All right. Brilliant. Thank you, Coach. Best of luck for the 2020 season, and I'll be following you closely. Stay safe. again to coach Atkins and best of luck to the San Jose Spartans for the 2020 season. Tune in next time for another BAFCA coaching podcast episode.